Welcome back to another episode of The Effort Weekly with the team from NC Fit, Gabe Yanez and Matt De La Valle. This is episode seven. Hard to believe we're already seven in. We got many more to come. But on this episode, we talk about cross-country road trips, living wage being added to your bill. And of course, we had to touch base on the recent uh, conversation between OPT and Savant about individual design and how that relates to CrossFit. Make sure that you listen through for that conversation. And we finish up with my recent jujitsu tournament, how my experience was, what I learned from it, and what I'm going to take with me moving into the next one. Now, before we get into the episode, very simple ask. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Screenshot it. Hit us up on social. Let us know what you think so we can go ahead and dive into additional subjects here on out. Also, on Instagram, Jason Kalipa, I've been putting up these Q&A. So if you have a question for me, I will be doing Q&A episodes starting soon. So make sure you stay tuned on my stories. For any time I put up a Q&A episode, go ahead and ask it there for now. Now, without any further ado, let's dive into episode seven with the team from NC Fit. Let's go. You're traveling cross country. Yes, sir. Gabe, Gabe and I were just talking about his, him and his aspirations for backpacking across Europe, which I think uh, I'd, I'd particularly like to talk about briefly. But um, you said that you might want to be moving back to California. So you're currently in Vancouver, Pacific Washington. Northwest. Yeah. Yep. In uh, Vancouver, Washington. Um, you know, it's been two years since I've been back on the East Coast to see my family with everything that's been going on, just hasn't worked out. So, um, you know, the, the first year it was pretty pretty scary. I think a lot of people were uncertain about, you know, travel plans and stuff like that. I had to do some stuff for work, but otherwise I was mostly just n- not seeing people from, from other parts of the world or country. Um, and my parents are older, so, you know, they were, um, a, a little bit hesitant to, you know, uh, have a lot of people see them after interacting with a lot of other people. So, um, yeah, this is the first time I'm going to be seeing them. I'm going to be driving cross country. We're going to do Pacific Northwest to Salt Lake City to Omaha to Columbus to the East Coast. So kind of across the center of the United States. How long does that take? Oh, I mean, I think you can do it in three or four days if you really were hustling. Yeah, um, We're going to do it in four five or six. Um, we're spending one night in Salt Lake city, one night in Omaha, and then two or three nights in Columbus. So, um, yeah. And then we're going to try to make it to New York after hitting, hitting Ohio. So are you sure? Oh, go ahead, Gabe. I was just going to say, what does that look like driving wise per day? You guys doing like 60 hour days? No, a little shorter, 12 to 13. I had done. That's doable. Yeah, I had done the um, trip one time before. Actually, my buddy, this was funny. I graduated law school. My buddy was driving cross country and I was so fucking wrapped too tight to like realize that I had this awesome opportunity to go drive cross country with my best friend, which would have been like the most epic adventure ever. Like he was like, oh, you know, you got to come. Only once in a lifetime opportunity. I was like, no, I can't do it. I got to stay. I got to make money. I just lost my job. I was being like really rationally minded and he got halfway across the country to San Diego. And I was like, fuck it. Don't move. I'm flying there today. So I flew to San Diego when he got there and I met up with him, San Diego, and we drove all the way up the West coast to like Glacier national. And then all the way across to Chicago in this beat up hoopty. And it eventually broke down Chicago. We had to sell the car and then flew home to New York. 
that was many years ago. That was in 2008 or 2009, 2009. I love that, dude. I, I, the farthest I've driven, I, uh, I had a buddy who used to go to, um, CU Boulder, uh, in Colorado and I flew to him one time. We drove from Boulder, Colorado. We went down to San Diego. Um, we stopped by the Coors Light factory. We stopped by the Grand Canyon. It was super cool. And at that point I was in college and you didn't have kids. And I mean, I just think you driving across the country is awesome because I've been talking to Ashley about doing it with the kids, but it's just not as easy once you have kids because it's just going to be a pain in the ass. You're going to hear them nagging nonstop. <laughs> and be like, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's like, no, dude, we got like a long, long way to go. So they're I'm still excited. at an age where they, they're not like, um, that would be tough at this point, you know, maybe a few years from now, maybe when they're like in their mid teens or a little older teens or whatever. Yeah. The last family hoorah. Dude, but that must be nice to see your family in the first time in two years. I imagine there's quite a few people who, who are in the same or similar boat to you who haven't seen their family in quite a while. And this is going to be the first time you have Thanksgiving and uh, you know, basically Christmas right, right now, right here. So it's good yes, times, sir. man. I hope you guys have a great connection while you go there. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, you guys you know, send I'm, us some I'm, pictures along your journey, man. If you see some sure. cool shit, you know, they have like those like world's biggest, like thumb, like world's biggest. I visualize going across <laughs> the country as like you, like you stop at different sections, like world's biggest, I don't know, yarn so, ball, world's biggest, this, I don't know if that's true, but that's why I visualize it. It's a super funny story. Seguin, where I live is literally one of those cities where the, <laughs> no we're, yeah, we're home to the world's biggest pecan. No, <laughs> the world's biggest pecan is where you live. Yeah. Wait, how big is it? Ah, uh, it's pretty big. There's like a pecan museum. Pecans are like a huge deal. I also got scolded <laughs> by a uh, local because it's not pecan, it's pecan. pecan. And it's a really big deal here. If you say pecan, he's like, dude, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you dare do that. Oh, well, man. we were chatting prior and I think one of the coolest parts about living in the United States is the the natural beauty. So when you're when you're driving across the United States, we don't have the same kind of like rich history that they have in Europe. So you're not seeing those kinds of things, but you are seeing, you know, incredible landscapes and a lot of stuff that people don't realize between the two coasts. There's a lot of really beautiful land and a lot of unique different environments and agriculture and stuff like that. But Gabe, you were talking about doing some backpacking in Europe. Where are you thinking about going? Yeah. So, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, my, my wife and I spent over a year traveling cross country. We did the whole thing in an Airstream trailer. So we were fortunate enough that it wasn't even like, you know, trying to do it across four days. We did it probably across five months and got to check out some places. And you're right, man. I mean, the US is incredibly beautiful. And there's so many places that you would never think of that are just like, you're like, how does this place exist? Yeah. Um, but on that note, you know, it, one of the things that we definitely want to get done, you know, possibly before starting a family is doing the same thing in Europe. Cause what you're saying, like, you know, you go visit someplace in the U S and it's like, Oh, this is historic from like, you know, the 1700s. Like that's like new stuff compared to some of the stuff you can find in Europe. And I, I think that stuff is really cool. I've spent a little bit of time in London. I spent 10 days in London and a week in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, which like, you know, isn't that much time at all. So I just love to do like the, you know, maybe like one month or three weeks of just checking out all the, the big places. Um, yeah, super Very exciting cool. to check Dude. out that continent. You should definitely go do that. You know, when uh, I've traveled to Europe quite a bit 
And what I like about it is that you can go from country to country and it's just night and day. So in the U.S., I think Ash and I probably could have traveled more throughout the U.S. That's something we're, we're interested in doing now. Um, but we used to travel to Europe a lot. And you'd go from like, let's just say France to Italy. They're not far apart from each other, but culturally language, food, they're, they're night and day. And so what's cool about Europe is you can go throughout and you could train as well and just be in like literally just a whole new uh, vantage point. So um, we, we spent um, five weeks there when Ava finished her treatment. And then uh, before that, we had traveled there quite a bit. So I'm excited to hear what your trip looks like, Gabe, because you're probably doing a little bit different. We didn't backpack, but... Um, I wish I had done some back, backing out there. That would have been cool. Yeah, we don't have like a specific date or anything, but we'd like to do that next year. We'll see. It's always tough to plan ahead these days with, you know, a lot of things still in flux and trying to figure that out. But hopefully we can make it happen. But MDV, I'm excited you're doing the road trip, man. If you need, not that I think I have any like particular recommendations, but we did the same exact drive. Like we went right through the middle. Um, it's beautiful, man. Yeah, just yeah. have a fire extinguisher, a flashlight, and a big ass knife. And I don't <laughs> know if you, I, I don't think you'd want to bring a gun because you're going to be crossing a lot of state lines. It just doesn't sound like a good idea. Oh no, no, no! Don't let's not get into that conversation. <laughs> big knife, big knife will do big, it though. Big knife, big knife. <laughs> <laughs> or an axe. <laughs> oh man! Hey, I was. Uh, I I messaged you guys yesterday. I am curious your guys' thoughts here. So, here in California and throughout the U.S., it's getting. Um, more and more expensive, right? And inflation is at an all-time high. You know, you hear some people talk about it at 6%, 7%. Other people say it's really like at 14%. And so even if wages go up, inflation is so high. And here in California, I can't speak for the rest of the country, they're adding on to bills right now, this idea of a living wage. And so like, let's just say you went to a restaurant. So the other night I went to a restaurant, I ordered out um, and- I looked at the bill and it said like, okay, hamburger, $20, this $20, whatever. And at the bottom, it said living wage, uh, 4%. And so they added 4% onto my bill and then they asked for the, the, the gratuity, right? Okay. And I don't know why it rubs me the wrong way. I've seen this. Um, it's been around for a while. I was just wondering your guys' thoughts because, and maybe I should look further into like the legal ramifications. I imagine, um, from what I've understood is that they're, they're, they're mandated to provide that wage towards the, um, non tipped staff. So like, let's just say the back of the house staff versus the front of the end staff and they're mandated because of the way it's worded to give that to their team. But why wouldn't they just add that 4% or 3% right into the cost of the, of the bill instead of adding it separately? Um, I don't know if it bothers you guys. It just, I don't know. It just seems like they're nickel and diming me. Mm. Well, I, I think we should recognize that this this is pre-current inflation, right? This this has been yeah something that's been in California, gosh, for at least three or four years prior. I mean, I I don't know the history of it when it started, but it was it has definitely been around pre-COVID. Um, and I think just also generally the way that wait staff are and restaurant workers, wait staff in particular are compensated, I think is really, really strange. I, I, I don't necessarily agree that, you know, you can pay somebody like $2 and 50 cents an hour and then have them exist essentially on tip income. I think that that's, 
it's an archaic, weird system. I think that the incentive for the owner to like not pay the employee a decent wage and to have the employee essentially be a slave to the tips is really strange. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what I feel about it. I think that it, it says a lot about where California is at and where other states are at that have this, that, you know, they, they add that living wage onto there to, 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 to have the employees have a live, a decent living. It, it just is a, a, a strange kind of conversation. I also heard something recently. This is a little random to what your point was, Jay, that like right now there's also, yes, inflation is happening and happening for a lot of different reasons. But there's been um, a few CEOs and other companies, I'm sure, that have been found to be actively participating in raising their prices and pushing them higher than inflation demands in order to continue to keep the same profit margin or better and just passing all of that cost along to the consumer. So you end up having this system in which prices are going up. The companies are going, well, inflation. And then they go, well, on top of that, we want to continue to make the same money or more than we're making. So they add into that. And then it's just as like a redoubling system on top, which creates more inflation, which is kind of both one sneaky and two just generally fucked up. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an opinion it. on the living wage. Using it as an excuse, right? Like, yes. oh, everyone's expecting pricing to go up. So why don't we just jack up pricing a little bit, even if, you know, cost of ingredients or whatever isn't really what's impacting that, whatever, say 10% increase on what they're selling. Um, but I, I completely agree, MBB. I mean, tips don't make any sense. Like the fact that people will penalize the wait staff for say something coming out late. Like I, there's so many circumstances, you know, I waited tables, my sister now waits tables and she talks to me about it all the time. Like there are so many things that are completely outside of the wait staff's control. And then people think that it's like their, you know, right to be like, Oh, I'm not going to give a good tip because my food came out late. That's not well, what the wait get, staff. So, okay. I mean, this was a different chain of events than what I was expecting to talk about, but my, my issue was with the living wage, why don't they just add it right into the cost and why do they like add it separately? It just seems weird. Like, why don't you just add it? If you want to, if you want to increase your prices by 4%, just charge me $22 for a hamburger instead of, or whatever. But this is a different conversation in Europe. You know, you don't typically tip as much. I mean, at least in many countries, I'm not sure about all of them. It's just kind of included. But what I'm curious about, I think the tip came around because you're trying to have an incentive for phenomenal service, right? And so I see both sides. Now, I've never been a server, so I can't speak from a server perspective. And if the back of the house is messing up, that kind of sucks. But my expectation would be that if my service wasn't on point, I'm not going to give that 20, 25% tip. And that's the incentive for the, for the server to do a good job. Is that a flawed model? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's well, what I thought it was because of, right? Well, you have, you have these businesses that are paying these people a pittance to work crazy hours to work at an insane rate in order to, to get tips from people who 
probably are being very scrupulous in terms of what they're tipping the person, right? Like I just, that, that 4% living wage, it, it bothers me more so for the fact that like, why don't you just pay the person more? Like, why is it put onto the customer at this point to pay the employee a living wage? That, that employee is working for you. Figure out how to pay that employee a living wage so that you get 4% additional charge down here. Like, wh- why do you have someone working for $2.50 on your staff and then you're going to charge a living wage to the customer? It, yeah. Like, I, I, I get wrapped up in that. I think that that's a weird system in which the incentives for the uh, employer are a little perverse. And then it's a very hard way to make a living for anybody who's trying to hack it. You know, especially now with dining in being tough to do in certain parts of the country and a lot of people, a lot more people ordering out. I don't know. It's a whole big conversation. Well, I'm curious on Gabe's perspective. So his, his sister is currently a server, right? Like I would make the argument that MDV, if a server or anybody, this could go for a coach too, right? Isn't getting paid appropriately. Then, then, I mean, this, then they wouldn't be doing that job, right? Like, I mean, no one's forcing them to be a server or forcing that person to be a coach getting paid 15, $20 an hour. They could pivot from that. So is it the business's responsibility to pay more or is it the employee or, or are they just paying what the market allows because they're still getting employees? Now I'm not saying that they're getting great talent. I'm just saying it, 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 it adds that layer. Right. I mean, what does your sister think, Gabe? Like, is she, I mean, how did, what does she think about the tipping process and that type of stuff? She complains about it all the time. <laughs> I mean, uh. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that it's tough, but it's, it's a double-edged sword because some days you'll come back and you'll be like, man, I crushed it today. And it like, you break down the math on how much you made hourly. And you're like, man, this is so worth it. I remember it was like that when I served tables, I served tables at this like brunch pot in Chelsea in Manhattan. And man, it was brutal work and I hated it. But sometimes it took like one night a week for you to be like, damn, this is worth it. You know? Um, so it sucks because it's like, it's, it's, it's a system that kind of like reels you back in a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, on that note, you are seeing a lot of people leave, not just server jobs, but really leave a lot of jobs that they weren't happy with now. You know, they're, they're calling it the, the great resignation, yeah. whether it's people were able to, you know, pad a little bit of money um, in their savings account with the stimulus checks or whatever it is. You know, it does seem like we're at a time where more people than before are just kind of saying like enough is enough, which is cool to see. But you know, it's, it's also not great for the economy. And I also don't know where a lot of these people are going to move to something that's a little bit better. Um, I'd like to think that a lot of people are, you know, starting their own side hustles and businesses, which I'm sure some are, but I don't know what's like the scalable solution for a lot of the workforce that, you know, currently or before the pandemic was working, you know, super crummy jobs for crummy pay. Yeah. Look at the side hustle though. You guys, you got your, uh, ranch, right? MDV's got his coffee. My wife just started a charcuterie uh, meat and cheese board uh, side hustle, which I'm stoked for because I get to enjoy the, 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 the byproduct of, but maybe more people have, you know, looked into that type of stuff because of um, having time at home and, and having this opportunity to kind of reflect on what they're doing. So we'll see what the future holds. I'm still, the jury's still out on this whole living wage thing though. Like, I don't know. It just seems like 
it'd be like if we were charging for a membership and then we, we charged, let's just say $200 a month and we charged a separate fee of 4% for a living wage for our coaches. I think as a business, we should, to MDV's point, I think we should be responsible for providing a living wage if we want them on our team and we shouldn't be passing that on or just incorporate that into the pricing. I don't know. Well, it's optics too, because yeah. as, as opposed to raising your prices, you know, you, the chicken Parmesan goes from 15 bucks to 20 bucks or whatever it is. And to the consumer, that's untenable. Sometimes when you look at something, you just go, well, why did this cost go up? And then the business owner is, is able to add this cost on the bill and show you that it's going to the employees as part of their living wage. Like I'm, I'm being so altruistic that this 4% is going to go directly back to the employees. I'm being sarcastic. I, I think that it's, it's kind of nonsense. Like they should be figuring out how to pay these people appropriately and then, you know, charge the consumer something that's fair to what the market would demand. But um, I think that a lot of people would be more up in arms if they just saw their bills go up without any explanation. But, you know, you can stomach oh, signing off on the extra 4% because you feel good about yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, I, I think you're right. And yeah. I think you're right. By the way, my lighting is getting better. Uh, we are recording pretty early this morning. It's uh, six thirty here on the West Coast, so now my 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 natural light is coming in, and I'm ready and fired up for the next for the next topic. If you guys are, what what, what, what were we talking about? MDV or Gabe? There was something that was on our mind, right? Yes. Yeah. So I this I really want to get to because there's been you know quite the stir. <laughs> On, on, on social about it. Um, and so to give people a little bit of background in case you guys haven't seen it, James Fitzgerald was on Savan's podcast and I listened to the whole podcast and honestly, the bit that they're breaking down is like the last 15 minutes. So if you want to listen to it, like last 15 minutes will give you all the context you need. Yeah. But essentially it came down to the whole, you know, OPEX has been preaching this for a while and it's, you know, their version of fitness is superior to what CrossFit preaches because they're all about, all about this individual design idea, right? Like an OPEX gym is you come in and there's 10 members, they're working out together, but all 10 members aren't doing like a scaled or adjusted version of the same workout. They're supposed to, they are doing each an individual program. And what James was saying, what he said on the podcast was that, you know, CrossFit isn't individualized. Now, Dave Castro posted on Instagram mm. and essentially refuted it and gave this whole, you know, Dave Castro's grant about how CrossFit is individualized, right? Like you come in and you have 10 people in class and they're not all doing exactly the same thing. A good coach would go and adjust for all 10 people to meet them where they're at. So obviously there's been a lot of back and forth. You have OPEX, you have, you know, Dave Castro kind of, you know, preaching the, the, the CrossFit line. So I'm, I'm curious because, you know, I think that what we do at NC Fit, and I'll, I'll, I won't speak to it in too much, I think MDV can do a better job, is, you know, we have amazing coaches that are adjusting our workouts individually for everyone. But, you know, what's the value in having someone follow a completely unique program? Um, and, you know, ultimately what the question was is, is CrossFit individualized? Mm. I didn't listen to the whole podcast. I need to, I need to go and listen to the full uh, James Fitzgerald Sevon podcast. It doesn't shock me that this came out of that podcast though. You know, James makes his living off of individualized programming and saying that OPEX is individualized and 
everybody needs an individual program. And, you know, how many times can you say the word individual until you're blue in the face? Like that's part of the selling proposition of what they do at OPEX and what differentiates them versus a lot of other people out there. So not very shocking. I, I think the the thing for me though, is that it's probably not a black and white conversation. It's probably exists somewhere in the gray, like most things do. You know, the way that we operate at NC Fit, we're a community-based group fitness class environment. And we have a program that's created by us and then disseminated to our members through our coaches. That program, once it's on the whiteboard, before it reaches any of the athletes and the execution of the workout is not individualized. It, it's, it's created at a level in which we think the entire community would benefit from. Once it hits the whiteboard and the coach introduces the workout to the class, then the workout is broken down and uh, the stimulus is explained. And individually, we are getting the athletes to the most appropriate workout for them that day. So it's kind of a blend, you know, we're not creating an, an individualized programming for all of our members. We're not, you can't say that you are, neither can CrossFit. CrossFit doesn't do that. But once the application of the program hits the athletes, the expectation is that the coach is going to take that workout and either let the athlete or advise the athlete that, Hey, yeah, I want you to get after it exactly as it's on the whiteboard today. Or we have to make these adjustments because of where you're at in your journey or how you're feeling today or what any sort of limitations or tweaks or anything might be going on. You might have in a group environment of anywhere, let's say between 10 and 20 people standing in front of you in a class. It's not always drilled down to the most individualized level as humanly possible in which if I was coaching Jason and I was scrupulously writing down every little tiny thing that he would have to change or adjust or, um, you know, make personalized for him. I think our coaches do a fantastic job of getting 80, 90% there, but we're also working off of a general template, which is authored outside. Like I said before, so it's not authored exactly for just Jason, just Gabe, just MDV it's taken and then applied to those people. Yeah, I, th I thought, MDV, I thought you did a great job describing that. Um, I would say there's pros and cons to both, both model, right? Like you could have an OPT, let's just say, I wanted to create a, a program for MDV, right? And he wanted to get ready for a jujitsu competition six months from now, which by the way, we should talk about my not so happen jujitsu competition. But anyways, so six months from now, MDV wants to get ready. I create an individual design program for him. Very, very specific, targeted on his goals, his body type, and his numbers, everything. That's one way of doing it. But there's pros and cons. The pro is, yeah, maybe it, maybe it might work more effective, but it also might not because he's training by himself. He doesn't have anybody else to feed off the energy from, and he's doing a workout solo that he, he can't compare others to. Whereas in a more group environment, like yesterday, I was doing a workout at our gym. It was individually programmed for, but in a class environment. And I think there's a lot of value there because now, even though each person is doing something a little bit different, they could feed off the energy. They could also then, um, you know, utilize different individuals as benchmarks on how their performance is. And so I think, it, I think it goes both ways. I think both are valuable. And specifically, I think it's valuable 
on the OPEX model, if you have very specific targeted goals you want to get towards, like I want to go run a 10K. Okay, cool. Well then, but that's also the coach's job at NC Fit or any other gym is to talk through those goals. But I think as a general fitness program, I think the way we do it is the model because of the energy and because of the ability to be around other peers and have it selecting your weight and your, your experience by an expert level coach. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think there's pros and cons to both. I think community-based fitness, obviously one of the biggest pros when you come into a gym where you have 10 to 20 other people in your class doing the workout is the environment, the people around you. It's exciting. It's fun. You get to build relationships with these people. You get to have a relationship with your coach that is uh, unique because of the type of group that you're all in, the community that you're all in. You share together in doing these workouts. You know, the other thing that I would say about an individual design, obviously, I think, like Jason said, if you have a particular goal, if you're saying, hey, I want to run a marathon or I want to compete in X competition or I want to PR my back squat. Yes, I think you need to do some more specific things that will get you there in a little bit more of an efficient fashion, not saying that group class environment can't get you there, but it might just take longer. The thing that I would want to know about OPEX, and I don't know this, I'm a little naive. It seems like they're saying that everything is individualized. I would be shocked if that's the case, because in order to reach the kind of scale that you would need to reach, or in order to have one coach servicing how many athletes, how many individual programs can you actually write? Individual. I'm talking from scratch. I'm talking Gabe is my athlete. Jason is my athlete. Mike is my athlete. Sarah is my athlete. Betsy's my athlete. Whoever. I'm writing individual programs for all these people. I want to know, is that actually what's happening? Or is there a template in which they're pulling, hey, this is the type archetype of athlete. And now I'm going to tweak it and adjust it. Or these are the basic templates that we have. And now I'm going to give it to this person. Because if that's the fucking case, which I think it probably is, then we're doing the same thing. We're just saying that one person is doing it from the whiteboard to the athletes who are standing in front of them in the class environment. The other person is looking at it on a computer screen and then making the adjustments and sending it out to the person. In either one of those cases, though, you know, you're not just completely authoring one-on-one -on -one programming from scratch. Yeah. And, you know, to add a little bit of context to that MBV, because I know you're saying that, you know, you're, you're coming from a place of not knowing exactly, you know, I had some pretty cl close relationships with a lot of OPEX coach back on the West coast when I started at TJ's gym and, and, and kind of that area. And I know for a fact that the volume of athletes that these coaches had, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, or it doesn't seem fathomable that it's that many completely individual designs. It's very hard to do that. It takes a lot of time and effort, resources. Yeah, and, and one would even and argue it, that it wouldn't even, would it even be a hundred percent necessary MDV or, you know, right. Like, like we were having that conversation. Depends. Like, I mean, if you have a broad based template, which is what we're talking about, and then you individualize it, or do you have to literally start from zero every single time? I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's well, I, this is kind of gets to the root of what these two guys are kind of splitting hairs about or getting into a tiff about is like, one is over here screaming that they have an individualized program. And again, I didn't listen to the whole podcast, so I don't know. But you have one guy over here saying, everything we do is individualized. And then you have another guy and he goes, well, what you guys do over there is general. And then 
he goes, well, we, we, what we do is individualized as well. Like, honestly, why does it even, ultimately, why does it fucking matter? Number one, number two is that I don't think that either one of these programs is necessarily like, they're not, one's not better or worse either. It's like, they're just different ways of getting people to fitness and they have pros and cons behind them. I would be really interested to see how much actual unique drafting of an individualized program is actually happening versus how much templating and adjusting the templates is happening on the OPEC side. That's one of the only things that I would be really interested in finding out about this discussion. Cause that changes my mind a little bit in terms of like, yes, this is completely individualized hundred percent from scratch, or is it templated? If it's templated, then I think the validity of James's argument is kind of like he's cutting the legs out from underneath it. You know, this, and this happened, you know, almost two years ago. And it's, it's funny because I, I, I remember it so vividly. Um, OPEX had posted something about the open at the time. And I took issue with like the tone. Um, and like, again, like at the time, I mean, not that I even have a huge following on Instagram now. Um, I posted, you know, kind of like the fact that I thought that it was ridiculous to say that like, absolutely no one should do this open workout because it's so dangerous. And here's like an OPEX workout that you should do instead. And James Fitzgerald actually answered and we had him on Ariel and me had him on our podcast, the WCA advantage. Um, and we spoke to him and it was super intimidating because James Fitzgerald was like a super smart guy, like trying to, yeah. trying to talk to him about why I thought, you know, his take was, you know, a little off um, is intimidating, but I, I, and if anyone wants to listen to it, they're, they're more than welcome. It's still out there. I thought we did a pretty good job, but what I took issue to was just, you know, he always has this very negative, like what we do is so much better and everything else isn't worth it. And I think that that's really the issue because is individual design going to benefit everyone? I would even go as far as saying that you don't need to have an incredibly like specific goal to benefit from a coach giving you a very individualized program. I think that even if your goal is longevity, like it would be useful to say, are you a female? Are you a male? What's your training age? So on and so forth and be able to like, give you all of that, like built into your program. Having said that, I feel like there are just some personality types that don't do well with that level. Like it requires a level of discipline to be able to do your own program alone. That's hundred percent individual to you. Some people are just going to benefit and have much better, you know, buy into it. If they're coming to class and doing NCX because they love the program and the community and that's okay. They're just different for different people that like, want to incorporate fitness into their lives in a different way and just have different personality types that'll kind of help them adhere to different types of training. And I think that that's, that's what's more important than saying, Hey, what we do over here is better than what you do over there. It's just, there's a shit ton of people that need fitness in their lives. And if we can offer a brand of fitness that helps some people, and you can offer over there a brand of fitness that helps these other people, we're all helping and getting towards the same end goal. And that's what I think is important. And that's what I feel like I never see from like James and the OPIC side. It's always like, there's, there's this solution. It's better than everything else. And everything else is just kind of wasting people's time. What was the workout? What was the open workout? Was it the handstand walk? I mean, it was, it was it wall Maybe walk? I can go back and look at it, but it was just, I, I mean, and have there been some open workouts that you're like, should most people be doing this? Like, sure. I, I see that side of it too. 
But, you know, for a lot of people, the open is this like incredibly powerful experience that like rekindles a fire for them to train and stay consistent to fitness yep. after the event. Um, so that's probably where I took issue to, but honestly, I don't remember what the workout was or, or even what I said, but I remember he like, he was in my DMS all of a sudden. And we like had him on the podcast a week later. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and the people that are doing the open, by the way, they, they're, they're, um, look, there's been some open workouts from like, ah, I don't know if I would have done it that way. Right. But people, I mean, that's also part of it because part of it is you go out there and you do this workout and you get to compare yourself against the rest of the world and people who are signing up kind of know what they're getting themselves into a little bit. And, you know, at the end, I actually think that some of the workouts I've looked back on the open, I'm like, dude, that's kind of goofy. I'll remember seven minutes of burpees. I'm like, dude, that was stupid. But then I ended up doing it like 10 times. And I actually didn't think it was, as, it was dumb because it got a lot of people to push past where they thought was possible. So you never know. Anyways, MDV, you were going to say something? Yeah. You know, I think if we pull back just a second, we think about, all right, if the goal of the athlete on either end, whether they're walking into an OPEX gym or walking into a functional fitness gym or a CrossFit gym or whatever, if, if that athlete just walks in and goes, I want to work out and I want to be fit. If they don't have a super specific goal, if their goal is GPP, aside from any sort of like major movement limitations or injuries or anything like that, that on both sides of the equation, that both of those sides would take into account and the current fitness level and things like that. I'm just really curious, like, is an individualized program for that person going to get them to that goal of just feeling better, looking better, being able to do everything outside of the walls of the gym and participate in their everyday life at the highest level? Is that really going to get them there much faster than what you do on the other side of the aisle? I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. When the, when the goal is just general fitness, I'm not saying that you have to PR these numbers. We're going to set these benchmarks out at the outset, and then we're going to retest them over and over again, because I think that that's probably also a very important part of the OPEC side in which they're able to say, oh, well, these numbers all got better for you because of the individual design that we put you in. We're going to test this, 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 and this. Cool. Yeah. Some people might want that data. Some people might want to see these numbers always trending in the right direction. We know for a fact, they're not always going to go that way. It's impossible for them always to go that way or to increase at the same percentage always. Eventually it's going to slow or stagnate. But I think like if for the general fitness consumer, most people don't give a shit about that stuff. Most people want to just come in, get a great workout, have a lot of fun, sweat, and they want to go home feeling like they work their butt off. They want to look in the mirror, feel really good about what they're doing with their body. They want to feel really good outside of the gym and be able to do all the things they need to do their yard work, play with their kids, not all that stuff. I don't know whether or not the individualized program is going to get you there any faster than the program that we would run in a functional training gym and then making the adjustment for that person. It's, it's kind of an argument in which I think that there's a lot of room for interpretation, but ultimately, like, I, I just don't, I don't see it being as important as just like Gabe was saying, just fucking work out. Do we got, who cares? We got to get OPT. Like, we got, we got to talk to OPT. We should have, we should sit down with OPT. What do you guys think? Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love a round two. I wonder if he even remembers. Probably not. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> 
I, I think we should talk to OPT because I, I, I think when you have individual design and a coach, right, you have more accountability. And, uh, but when you have group environment, you have more energy and in-person experience. And they're just, they're just different. And, uh, but there's so many factors that come into play. But I'd be curious. Um, I think the whole debate, I, I like what you said, though, MDV, is like it starts off at a high-level macro. And then when it actually gets to the whiteboard, it is individualized from there, disseminated. And we need to look at the templates and what they're using. But I think we should talk to, to James, you know, like, and, and, and hear his perspective. And I think this whole thing has probably gotten blown out of proportion a little bit. But, you know, looking at it just Whoa. one way or another, I think is wrong. I think, you know, hey, as long as we're getting people off the couch and moving, I think that's a great step in the right direction for most people, <laughs> right? No, I mean, look at the people that's what involved I was say. and look at the, the history that, that they yeah, have. Dave. It's like, of course, it's going to be blown, blown out of proportion. Yeah, James, yeah. Oh, James boy. and Dave are, are, are very kind of specific personality types. You know, MDV, to, to what you were saying, because I, I agree with you pretty much entirely. But, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit more familiar with a lot of the OPEC stuff because Ariel took CCP. She took like the OPEC cert. And in her taking it, like, you know, I always like take a look at the modules and listen to a lot of the stuff. Like I get so much information by just kind of like sitting next to her while she does all this stuff. The OPEX argument is that no one really, if you dig deep enough, no one or very few people have this very general goal of just being a little fitter, looking a little bit better GPP. The argument is that if I talk to you and really dig, like, you know, doing true triathlons a year might be important for you. Doing, you know, like the softball league you're into might be important for you. And I can use all that information if I ask the right questions to kind of like find the little things that matter to you to give you a more fulfilling end result with just, you know, GPP type training. That's the argument. Now, is that really like, you know, worth all this extra individual design? And can you still get better at those things? Like you said, through just, you know, GPP and a coach that can adjust accordingly. I think so. But that's, that's the argument, right? It's the fact that if you start your relationship with a coach with a one hour consult, and I can dig deep into what, you know, just general fitness or just feeling better, looking better looks for you. Does that mean you want to add a little bit of muscle? Does that mean you need, you want to lose a little bit of weight? Those different end goals or end versions of what looking a little bit better mean might require a different approach to how you train. That's the argument. I agree with you, but mm -hmm. that's, that's what they would say. It's that if you dig deep enough, people have more specific goals than, hey, I just want general fitness and look a little bit better, feel a little bit better. Well, I think that those conversations should be happening on both sides of the aisle. You know, I think that coaches should be getting to know their athletes, uh, whether or not they're participating in an individual design program or they're participating in a functional training program that's designed for a group environment. You should be having those conversations. You should be talking to people about where they are in their journey and seeing whether or not they're getting any closer to their goals. I think Jason used a, a good word before he talked about accountability. And I think that that's probably if I, again, I don't know exactly what they're selling over on the OPEC side, but if I had to wager, that's probably the actual thing that they're selling over there is the fact that you are a hair more accountable to the workouts, to the coach that is disseminating them to you and that you're probably communicating with that individual on a more regular and more intimate basis 
than you're doing with the coaches on the other side, right? If you're going into a functional training or a CrossFit gym, you're commuting, communicating with the coaches mostly through the class environment or the one-on-one -on -one environment, right? You're setting up specific times to talk to that person. On the individual side, <clears throat> um, I would be shocked if it's a communicate with me whenever you want, however you want model, because that would just, people would be flooding these coaches with uh, text messages and emails. They probably have some sort of set check-in points that give a level of like with, with weekly or monthly, or we're going to set up a time to talk We'll review your progress and stuff like that, which I think is, is good. It's a, it's a different model though. You know, that's a lot of the times probably done through digital communication, whether it's email or video chat or whatever. And then in the OPEX actual gyms, the brick and mortar gyms that they have, I don't know how they do it, but it's probably some sort of one-on-one -on -one meeting every X number of days or months or whatever. Yeah. My, my takeaway from this is, is, uh, we should, we should find out more. That's my takeaway. My takeaway is I'm actually going to text James after this and just talk a little bit more about it because um, it's intriguing to me. I, I think we, I agree with all the points here. I think, I think it's all good, man. I, I think, I think this type of conversation is um, look, individual group uh, I think can be a strong debate and whatever, but at the end of the day, I think um, the important thing, right. Is that we're getting people, towards what they want to get towards and the results. And I think you could do it in both fashions. That's, I mean, I know it's like a, a blanket statement, but I think it's true. I think you could do it through the OPEX model. I think you could do it through thousands of CrossFit gyms that have impacted tons and tons of lives. And it just depends also, like not everyone is going to want one way or not everybody's going to want the other way. I think they're, the different models work well, but I need to find out more. That's, that's my, my takeaway. I think that the last... The last thing that I want to uh, say on this topic is that if you were to just in a vacuum say, all right, if you want to work one-on-one -on -one with a person, or do you want to work one-on-15 with a person, one-on-15 with a group, who is going to get the higher level of intention, the higher level of individualization, the higher level of service? You're definitely going to say the person who's working one-on-one -on -one with the coach is going to get those things. Now, that doesn't say that the people over here who are on the 1 in 15 side, that they don't want that 1 in 15 experience, that they might want the interaction of their peers. They might want a little bit less oversight from the coach. They just want motivation. They want coaching cues. They want the coach to move around them and be there with them. They want the whole environment. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you to just look very blanket, if someone was teaching a class and they were like, I'm going to teach you how to, I don't know, learn Spanish. One-on-one -on -one or one to 15, probably one-on-one -on -one is going to be the more efficient way that you would get there. Again, ultimately, I don't know. And that's why the value of the one-on-one -on -one environment is so much higher, right? You can, you can charge a uh, hundred bucks, 150, $200 uh, a session for one hour with a coach. If you, if the market demands it, if you're going to pay it, but the group environment, it's probably less. It's probably like at the high end, 50, 60 bucks. And then down the ladder from there. I still don't know whether or not that that applies directly to the two situations that we're talking about because of what we said before is that I think that they're templating and then making it individualized. So I don't know whether or not it's the same value that's behind or the same kind of learning efficiency that's behind just a one-on-one -on -one relationship in a vacuum. If I spend my 
whole dedicated hour looking in your eyes and looking at your movement and telling you exactly what you're going to be doing. But I don't think that's what's happening on the OPEC side. Again, I think talking, like you said, talking to James would be the best. Yeah. But, but, but I actually like the, the class environment. So yesterday I was taking a class. I had a gentleman who normally uses our app and trains uh, in his garage and he happened to come in for the class and he's like, bro, I mean, we threw down on a uh, Elizabethish or whatever it was hang cleans and pushups and he loved it. And so I'm a guy who thrives off the energy in the class. I like walking in, maybe you're not feeling it. And this is what's great when I was really training for the games. And this is great for jujitsu too. You walk in, maybe you're not as feeling it. Then all of a sudden your buddy's hitting it and he's in a good vibe and you start pulling from that energy. I would rather be in a class with 15 people than three people. I'd rather, but that's just me. I'd rather be in a class of 15 people for jujitsu, CrossFit, you name it, than be one-on-one. But that's also where I'm at in my fitness journey. So let I think me, that's obviously something you can let, take let into me ask consideration you a question. Let's too. say uh, Coach yeah. Bergner, you had an opportunity to work, work with Coach Bergner on Olympic lifting. And I was like, Jason, you can work okay, one-on-one yeah. -on -one with Coach Bergner or you can work one-on-20 with Coach Bergner. Either one is your choice. But if you're going to get an hour worth of Olympic lifting knowledge, which would yeah. you rather have? Right? Like, I think that that's All the right. benefit yeah. of one-on-one yeah, yeah. -on -one yeah. training in reality is like, you can have a hyper-focused hour with somebody that is just you. And that's what people pay for in that, in that regard. Yeah. Again, I don't think that's what's going down. It's probably going down in a little bit of like a watered-down percentage on the OPEC side. And it happens in the functional training gyms in a similar way. We're giving people individual takes on the workouts. But anyway, but this, this kind of comes back to a point I wanted to make before was like, I think people get really wrapped around the axle with fitness in terms of like, it's got to be like this one thing is the only thing that we can do. And I get it. These guys both have very vested interests in making sure that their thing is the best thing. I think one of the beautiful things that we do at NC Fit is we know and we recognize that there's a fucking lot of ways to get fit. There's a lot of different types of fitness experiences that you can have. You can do high intensity workouts. You can do bodybuilding workouts. You can take your fitness and go and apply it to hiking, running, swimming, fighting, biking, whatever, all those types of things. We're, we're not in this like echo chamber of just like, this is the only way. I think that that's a really dangerous way to think just generally. Anyway. For sure. For sure. We got to get, we got to get James on. Um, yeah. And, and I'll also, I'll, I'll see if we can get Dave on too, just for the hell of it. Um, oh boy. Uh, well, guys, oh, dude, we've only, we've almost been talking for an hour. I wanted to dive into uh, the, my, my, my not so happened jujitsu. Oh, well, well, dude, the thing about jujitsu is, uh, you know, I, I was preparing for this competition and so I end up arriving, warming up. I mean, I, I did everything. I went as far as you could and then my competitor didn't show up and it was a, it was, you know, crappy, but there was also learning experiences, right? Um, obviously, I got better at my jiu-jitsu. So, like, what happened is I, I had set this target. I signed up for it, I don't know, what, a couple months ago? And I said, hey, I want to do this competition. And, I, I, you know, um, recently, I had done the Rogue Invitational. I had done a century bike ride, and I was signed up for this jiu-jitsu tournament. I try and set myself little things every, I don't know, month or two to get a little bit more uncomfortable. And I'd be lying to you. Like, I think I was probably the most uncomfortable for this one. Um, the Rogue Invitational was, was something a little, I had a little bit of anxiousness, 
until I found out who's, you know, partner style and whatever, then it, I kind of mellowed down, but this was intimidating. You know, a week ago I found out who my competitor was and it just so happened that this competitor happened to be in the same association as some of the people that I train with and they know who he was and their feedback was, Hey, this guy's strong. Uh, really strong. I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, so am I. And they were talking about, uh, you know, his skill in jujitsu and whatever. So we came up with the game plan. I was working my takedowns. I was working my, I was really into it, training every day, getting ready. And then I get there, I warm up, I'm, I'm prepared and, uh, no show. Um, I don't know why, and it's irrelevant why, but the learning experience for me was that I'm grateful that I put myself in a position to get a little bit more uncomfortable. I, it's not easy, right? It creates some nerves and anxiety. Um, but to not be able to go out there and actually go see how I would have stacked up was frustrating. And they didn't have an open division, which, which really sucks. So basically you go there, my family went there, we're all fired up, ready to go. And then there was nothing for me to do. So it's okay because I, I learned a little bit more in between the ears and how to overcome that. And that'll help me for my next time that I have to get a little bit more uncomfortable. That's a tough one, but it's, uh, it's better to, have done all the training leading up, like you're saying, embracing the process, enjoying the process, learning from the process. And really the result is uh, not as important, right? You still got all those reps in, you still had the mindset going in that you were going to fight this guy. You still had all the jitters leading all the way up to probably a few moments before the match, whether or not this person's going to be there. And then, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that you didn't get to, to test yourself, but uh, I think, that's a good lesson. Yeah. I'm just glad I didn't cut weight because like the night before we were supposed to be having like a pre Thanksgiving dinner at my parents' house. And I'm grateful that I didn't cut weight. Cause I weighed in at two eleven with a gi on, uh, and a gi is about four or five pounds for those people. I don't know. Uh, the below weight class that I could have gone for was two Oh eight. So I would have had to lose three pounds. The above is two twenty two. So I had signed up for two twenty two. So I had plenty of weight. So it wasn't a big deal. But uh, had I cut weight, that would have been even more oh, frustrating. Man. The old days, cutting weight for wrestling, dude. It's all good though. I mean, look, it, it was just—it it was a good reminder for me though about this idea that um, you know going into the gym and training doesn't get me super uncomfortable, right? It's, it's something I love and I do all the time. Um, but you know, when you sign yourself up for a competition or, or and you don't have to do it, make a jujitsu, you can do anything, right? A 10 K run or this or that. I think it's cool to set these, these pillars and pylons and, uh, it gives you really cool incentive to train for. So for those people who don't have those, you know, think about one that's not like super crazy. Like the century bike ride I did wasn't like as nerve wracking as a jujitsu tournament, um, or maybe someone could sign up for a 10K or something that's that's maybe just a little outside their threshold, but not so much. And then they can start kind of building up and get ready for the bigger, 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 the more challenging ones would be the takeaway I would I have. Think for, a, for I people. think a good takeaway in this situation is focusing on what you can control for sure, because you don't have control over whether or not your opponent shows up. All you can control is your training leading up to it, your preparation, whether or not you show up on time, you have all your gear, you're ready to rock and roll. That that's really important in these competition environments in particular, because you, you can start blaming things outside of your control you can blame your opponent. You can blame the ref. You can blame all these other things, you know, whether or not they scored it the right way at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Uh, you don't, and spending a lot of energy worrying about that stuff is just wasted, right? It's, you just got to focus on you, focus on your own prep and your own stuff and be ready to rock. Yeah, 
Yeah. But like I said, I, I think there was takeaways for me uh, mentally, right? Like, I mean, I knew who the guy was. I knew his, some of his skills and there was a small percentage of me and I'm, I'm humble enough to admit this small percentage of me who was like, Oh, maybe I won't do it. It's only one guy, right? Something to myself. I'm not going to get multiple matches. The, the, the way that I could have copped out would have been, Hey, it's only going to be one match. You know, I don't, I don't want to pay a hundred bucks for one match, right? That that's the way I could have copped out. Right. But I chose not to cop out. And that was a big mental win for me because I was placed in a challenging situation and I thought for a quick second about backing out and I could have, no one, no one, no one even would have cared, but I would have cared. Right. So at least I went there and I was prepared for it. And so anyways, that would be the, that would be my, my takeaway for other people is to try and identify things that can help them build that confidence up. Because when your back was up against the wall, just a little bit, you, you mentally kind of broke through and went on to the next level. Anyways. All right. Well, the good thing is we'll do this again next week. Heck yeah. We'll have a bunch of other topics we can talk about. Are you, we got to go sign up for something. I'm not a big sign up guy. I know know you get all wrapped around the axle about always needing to sign up for stuff. I don't, I, I couldn't care if I never (laughs) signed up for another event in my fucking life, man. I don't, it does nothing for me. I'm happy that people just show up to the gym and work out. I, I don't, I don't want to be out there at big races in the morning and, jockeying for using the porta potties and shit like that i I don't want any part of it i uh and maybe it's a little bit of my own insecurity around it that i did all that stuff when i was younger and i don't want to do it again but i don't want to sign up for anything (laughs) man jockeying for a porta potty yeah the jockey in there been there i I think for me i i mean i've i've competed countless times right and i think that every time that i compete i try and learn something about myself and, uh, it's, it's healthy for me. Right. Um, because it puts me in an uncomfortable position and, and, and that's, that's valuable for me, but it's not for everybody. Right. And, um, but I would also make the argument, just like you've said to me, if you're that anti it, you know, what, what is the reason for that? Like, I don't know, for example, we were talking about, uh, uh nutrition, right. Or, 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 or no drinking and that's, I'm super anti it, but maybe there's a reason for that. Right. I, who knows? Yeah, It, it sure. goes both ways. I, I just did a lot of it when I was younger and I experienced a lot of competition environments coming up through CrossFit that I would never really want to go do again um, for a, for a lot of reasons, but porta potties being the primary, the <laughs> primary reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love that. Well guys, uh, dude, I guess we'll yes, be, uh, we'll be catching up pretty soon. Uh, any, uh, any, uh, Close your remarks from, from, from the team here. I guess we're going to, well, this will air after, after Thanksgiving, right? The, but I hope everybody has a fantastic yeah, or had right a fa- Thanksgiving. fantastic Thanksgiving. And if you're thinking about, oh my gosh, I ate so much on this day. I can't believe that I did all this. Move past it. You have an opportunity to make a better decision or just accept the fact that it happened and move forward. Don't get too wrapped around the axle. I think a lot of times, people put way too much stress and pressure on themselves around the holidays for having a couple of things that are outside of their normal consumption. Doesn't matter. Just keep going forward. And oh. you stole my takeaway. Huge, huge. One meal won't make or break anything. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the pie. Enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. Just get back on the horse. That's it.
Yeah, and based on when this comes out, enjoy <laughs> your Christmas, your holidays, and uh, you know, I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. You know, um, I'm about to go train in the garage with uh, Mason, who qualified for the biggest jujitsu tournament in 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 the world uh, in September. So I will let you guys know how that goes on our next uh, episode. And um, dude, if you're if you're in your garage, if you're at the gym and you have not checked out the NC Fit app, uh, it's the workouts that. The crew and I do every single day. You have to go check it out. It's the NC Fit app. And if you're a gym owner, if you're a coach listening to this and you have not checked out the NC Fit Collective, <laughs> I, 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 at this point, we're so deep in, I can't understand why you haven't. And so make sure you email Gabe at nc.fit and Gabe will get you some type of trial, something. So NC Fit app, gym owners, email Gabe at nc.fit. And uh, yeah. thanks guys. Keep crushing everybody. All right. Thank you.